Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone today. It's a little touch and go this morning, getting ready for worship. I actually lost my soul for a while. Um, it was scary. It's, it literally came off. I almost tripped over it. But we're talking about gospel-centered community, and all of a the sudden, these people gathered around, and they mended my broken soul. So it is good to be here with such a loving body this morning. Let me pray for us, and we will dive in. God, as we read in our psalm today, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Father God, help us today to be a people who see and experience your steadfast love. God, a people who dwell on your love, a love that compelled you to purchase our redemption through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, there's so many distractions and so many lies that cloud our minds that try and skew our view of you and your loving kindness, God. Even our own flesh condemns us at times with thoughts of unworthiness, God, that we could never be loved. Father God, fix our eyes on Jesus this morning. He is the ultimate representation of your love, and it is on account of his righteousness that we have confidence to enter into your presence to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. All right. Well, over the past four weeks, we've been unpacking the vision and mission of Christ Church Kingwood. We said that we exist to glorify God and make disciples through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered growth. And there's nothing magical about these words. They're simply an attempt to articulate the characteristics of a life of being and making disciples, a life that flows from and is empowered by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So having spent these four weeks breaking down the life of glorifying God and making disciples into these four gospel-centered distinctives, what I want to do this morning is kind of pull them back together and paint a picture of what a gospel-centered church looks like. Because the call of the church is not just to pass on a message of grace and hope and love through Jesus Christ, but to be a living embodiment of the gospel message that can be seen and can be experienced. It's to cultivate a gospel culture where we as a community are so captivated by the truth of Jesus that the way that we live out our faith together tells the world about the God that we serve. But before I get to that, I want to 
begin by talking a little bit about how Christchurch Kingwood kind of came into existence. We've, we've discussed it before, but there, there just keeps being new faces in the room year after year. So I want to unpack for you just some of the thoughts briefly uh, that inform the trajectory that we are on. And, and then I want to explore how we as a church can continue to cultivate inside this community a gospel culture. So Christ Church Kingwood was not birthed out of the illusion that we found this perfect church model. As we talked about last week, we didn't get together and try and figure out all the elements we need to have a successful church. Christ Church was birthed out of the idea that the call of the gospel on the lives of believers is simple in form and it is life-changing in practice. Glorifying God and making disciples is all that we want to be about. We are not here to entertain you. We're not here to be the most exciting place your kids have ever set foot. We're not here to give you a moralistic good game and tell you how great you really are. We are here to proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and we believe that that is enough. We believe that that is the only truth that can bring lasting hope and joy and life. So anything else that we present to you as a reason to be a part of this community, whether it be the worship or the kids area or the really strikingly well-dressed pastor, is a distraction from what we've been called to be and what we've been called to proclaim as the church. Rather than constantly looking for new ways to attract people or to get the word out about Christ Church Kingwood, we as the elders have been far more concerned with ensuring that nothing we do as a church detracts from the message of Jesus. That nothing we do attempts to steal the glory due his name for ourselves or for this church. We want to be unassuming and unspectacular because we are not the point. This isn't about us. It's about Jesus. He is who we worship. He is who we proclaim. We gather on Sunday to worship as the people of God, but we are the church seven days a week. We are united in Christ. We are bound together by his blood just as much on Monday morning as we are on Sunday. Our lives are the mission field. Our daily lives are where the gospel is lived out. And the gospel reality is that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You are members of one another. And together, we should be a foretaste of the kingdom of God on earth. See, we are part of something far greater than ourselves, something eternal. So gospel-centered worship and community and service and growth are not our vision for Sunday mornings. Like, we'll, we will see elements of those on Sunday, but that is the vision for our lives as the church, as the body of Christ. And that's what I really want to hone in on today. As, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. Not just as individuals, but as a church, as a community. That is our identity. 
And the way that we live out our faith together as the family of God should portray the beauty of Christ to the world. The church should be a living embodiment of the gospel, a picture of the kingdom of God where race and economic status and personality differences and cultural difference, differences aren't these points of divergence, but where Christ is all and in all. A countercultural community where the people the world rejects are accepted. Where power is not gauged by a number on your bank statement or some title at your job, but humble reliance on the indwelling spirit. A community that's not driven by entitlement or pride, but where grace and love and mercy dominate the hearts of the people. And this is what Jesus was getting at in John 1335 when he said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. They're all going to know if you have love for one another by the way that you love. That is, when the world looks at us and the way we love and care for one another, the way we do life together, they should see Jesus. And we have to understand this. That the way we engage one another, the way we spend our time and the choices we make are a proclamation to the world about the God we serve. So, if conflict and selfishness and struggling for power are allowed to reign in our hearts, if we allow bitterness or grudges to fester, how are we any different than the world? What is it that we're saying about our God? But when grace reigns, when we gladly lay down our lives and lay down our rights for one another, when we rejoice together and struggle together and mourn together, they will see Jesus. Our lives will proclaim a power and a hope that is greater than anything this world has to offer. So when you make a meal for someone who's sick or pray with someone who's struggling or seek repentance from someone that you know you've hurt or offended, when you take time out of your life to seek the good of someone else, you are proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And the world sees it. They see it. In a culture saturated with self-gratification and entitlement, these simple acts of love resound with glory to God. That's why we take the membership covenant here at Christ Church seriously. It's why we call it a covenant, why we emphasize the necessity of being intentional about engaging in the lives of others, even when it's hard, even when it stretches us, even when it costs us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, our message is not that we are perfect people, it's not that this is the perfect church or that our small groups or men's groups or women's groups are the perfect solution for your struggles. Everything we do is for the sole purpose of illuminating the glory of our perfect God. 
He is the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. And he says, come to me. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. Because the reality is, I can't give you that rest. I can't. The elders of this church can't give you that rest. Social media can't do it. Your next hobby can't do it. Another day off or a vacation, not going to do it. And one more drink is not going to give you that rest. There's nothing in this world that can do it, but Jesus says, come to me. I will give you that rest. See, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what it means to be a gospel-centered church. It is a Jesus-centered church. It's not about what we do or what we have to offer, but what Jesus has done and what he is doing and what he has offered to all who trust in his name for salvation. We are a people who have been set apart by God to reflect his glory and his love in a world that is in desperate need of hope. So the question is, how do we live out this high calling as the church? How do we glorify God and make disciples inside of a culture that thinks of God uh, as nothing more than a means to an end if, if they think about God at all? How do we engage a culture that wants nothing to do with God? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. I think far too often what we have seen and what we see from the church is the church standing in judgment over the world, condemning the world, renouncing the culture of the world, spewing hate and condemnation over unbelievers because they're acting like they don't believe in Jesus. You see the problem there? They don't believe in Jesus, so why would they do what he said? But you do, right? I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, by the way. It creeps people out. We do. See, the church stands in judgment so often in our culture and yet never actually offers an alternative. That's the problem. Because often the culture inside of a church looks no different than the world. Bitterness, envy, pride, self-promotion, they're just as prevalent. They just get masked with Christian lingo and hypocrisy. So what good is the doctrine of grace if that grace isn't seen and experienced within the community of God's people? What we need to understand is that the only answer to one culture is another culture, not a, a concept, not a set of facts or propositions or rules, but a counterculture. Jesus didn't come to tie up a few loose ends in our generally put-together lives. He said, I have come to set you free from bondage, free from the kingdom and the culture of this world, to put to death what you were living for and to make you alive together with me. Alive to a new kingdom, alive to a new hope, alive to a gospel culture. It's like nothing you've ever seen or experienced. I am making all things new. 
And we are ambassadors of that kingdom. The gospel creates something new in the world today. Not just a a new community, but a new kind of community. Gospel-centered churches should be living proof that the good news is truly good. Communities where the the God of John 3.16, the God of love and grace and mercy dwells in power. This is gospel culture. It's living in such a way that the world sees our love and longs to know the reason for our hope. Longs to know the God we serve. And by emphasizing gospel culture here, we're not minimizing doctrine. We're not pitting one against the other. Both are necessary if we're going to reflect the glory of Christ. Because gospel doctrine informs and and creates gospel culture. That is, when gospel doctrine or, or the truth of God's word takes root in our hearts by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, it creates gospel culture or a culture of grace. And when a church has a firm grasp of gospel doctrine igniting in it the beauty of gospel culture that church will be powerful beyond measure. That church will be a city on a hill. But there are no no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to getting here. Without gospel doctrine, without an understanding that we are dead in our sin and made alive together with Christ, the culture will be weak. And without the culture, without lives transformed by the grace of Jesus, the doctrine will seem kind of pointless. And every one of us is wired to lean one direction or the other, toward emphasizing doctrine or culture, doctrine or community. Some of us naturally resonate with truth and standards and facts, while others resonate with feelings and vibes and relationships. Whole churches, whole denominations are established on emphasizing one of these things over the other, right? I mean, I say established, they've split because they didn't want to be around the other people, right? Let's get around more people like ourselves. That's going to help us. But the problem with our natural tendency to emphasize one over the other or one above the other is that we will be partly wrong. We'll be missing something crucial, but we won't feel wrong because at the same time, we're partly right, but only partly. Truth without grace is harsh and ugly, but grace without truth is sentimental. It's shallow. There's no substance. In John 1.14, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The living Christ is perfect in both grace and truth. And we cannot represent him within the the limits of our own personalities and, and backgrounds. Yet, when we trust in him as a community... And depend upon him moment by moment. He promises to shape us both personally and corporately. He will stretch us and mold us and and make our church look more like himself. 
saturated with both the truth of gospel doctrine and the grace of gospel culture so that we can glorify him more and more. So if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. And while you could probably argue that all of Scripture is describing for us how to foster gospel culture inside the church, Paul's words here in Ephesians are a beautiful picture of the life that we've been called to. I think it shows, we'll hop around a little bit, but starting in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Then verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Man, it's a good one. Part of the reason I love this text so much is because I see so much of this being lived out here among you all. But I've told you you're awesome almost every week for the past five weeks, so I'm not going to say it again today. You're pretty awesome, though. I'm continually thankful to God to be in a church where I have personally experienced the reality of gospel culture on so many levels. I've experienced the love of Christ in powerful ways through so many of you, and I've seen this grace and this mercy extended to one another time and time again. But the picture of gospel culture we see here in Ephesians is, is not a destination. It's a journey. It's a, a process. It's not like Lord Business in the Lego movie, right? He wants to glue all the Legos together, make a little shrine to himself. That's not cool. That's why he's the bad guy. Gospel culture is like a garden. It must be constantly tended and pruned and watered. And if it's not, weeds are going to grow up. They're going to choke things out. For us to experience and sustain a culture of grace, as described here in Ephesians, we have to work at it like we would work at a garden. Right? Don't, don't water your garden this month. See what happens. It's going to die. But we have to speak the truth in love with kind and tender hearts, while at the same time uprooting malice and envy and bitterness as they spring up, because they will. Just because we've experienced the beauty of gospel culture in this church doesn't mean that sin isn't crouching at the door seeking to destroy what God is doing, right? Sin is there, always waiting to destroy it. I mean, most of you have probably heard the verses about not letting the sun go down in your anger, right? Marriage 101, always apply everything to your spouse. Do we apply that to other relationships inside of the community, with our friends, with extended family? But here, do we apply that? When, when your feelings get hurt, 
When you're offended or someone says something that rubs you the wrong way, or maybe you feel disconnected and don't feel like anybody cares about you, do you let those thoughts fester and grow? Do you harbor bitterness, resentment, anger? Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. He could have said, if you do, you are giving an opportunity to the devil. He says it nicer, right? If you harbor bitterness, you're playing team devil. That's what he's saying. When we allow anger or hurt to go unaddressed, we're saying, hey, yeah, foothold, come on. But, you know, having that conversation is awkward, right? It is. But the damage that can be caused by not addressing those feelings can be devastating to you and to this community. The deceiver is unwavering in his attempts to plant seeds of division, to lead us astray through conflict and insecurities, through doubts and through fears. And if we lose sight of the gospel of grace, if we allow sin to germinate in the soil of this community, it will wreak havoc. Sin always does. So let me wrap up with verse 32 from Ephesians 4. Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. It's powerful. That is the heart of gospel culture. Forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So if you only take one thing from this sermon today, my prayer would be that it is this. Make the measure of the grace and love you experience from God the measure of grace and love you extend to others. If we as a community truly lived out that one phrase through the power of the Holy Spirit, it would transform the landscape of this church and your friendships and your marriage, everything. Make the measure of the grace and love you experience from God the measure of grace and love you extend to others. Be captivated by the reality that the God of all creation sent his son to bear the weight of your sin on the cross. And we're not just talking about past sins, like current, daily, like this morning sin. Every bad thought, every lustful look, every ounce of pride and selfishness and anger, the blood of Christ is constantly covering your sin in such a way that when God looks at you, he sees the perfect holiness of Jesus. That is the gospel doctrine that can transform the culture of this church and your family. Because when you're wronged, or offended by someone in this community, or when your spouse isn't living up to your expectations, what would it look like if you were to extend them the measure of grace and love that God is continually extending to you? What would that look like? This is what it means to be gospel-centered. 
It's not living out something that's, that's totally foreign to us. It's not like we are pioneering this new thing that I discovered. We call it grace. You should try it. We're living out the very grace and the love that we have been shown by Jesus. Because Christ bore the weight of our sin and he gave us his righteousness. And now God no longer views us according to our sin and shortcoming and failures. When he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't look at you and see a string of disappointments and letdowns, thinking to himself, I deserve better than that. I deserve better. He sees the holy perfection of Jesus. So, how can we then look at one another and refuse to see them as God sees them, as bathed in the blood of Jesus? It doesn't mean we, we don't still need to grow and, and be shaped into the image of Christ, but it changes the way we see people. This is what Paul was getting at when he said, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Our call as the people of God is to no longer look at one another according to the record of sin. To no longer judge one another according to our differences, but to see each other as God sees us, as holy and beloved. And our call is to come alongside one another with mercy and grace, longing to see the fullness of Christ manifested in the lives of those we love, those we have covenanted with. Make the measure of the grace and love you experience from God the measure of grace and love you extend to others. This is how we cultivate gospel culture in our lives and in this church. And if we do this, the world will take notice. They will see the love that we have for one another, and they will long to know the God that we serve. Let's pray together. Father God, this is my prayer for this community, that we would be so captivated by your loving kindness towards us that we find joy in sharing that love. That we would be so moved by the forgiveness we've experienced from you that we could not withhold forgiveness from others. God, we pray that you would protect the gospel culture that you have cultivated in this community. And we ask that you would continue to grow us strong and healthy in Christ together so that the way we live out our faith in our families and in this community would portray the beauty of Christ to the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. 
We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Go in peace.